Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 189. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we search for fashionable alternatives to the medical face mask. Who's with me? I'm your host, Nikita Farsad, and I am the only one, sorry, and am I the only one fielding panicked calls from their mother about coronavirus? (laughs) Because I get one of those calls maybe twice a day. Twice a day? Well, there was was two on one day. I don't mean to exaggerate her panic. No, but much like coronavirus, the rate is accelerating. The rate is accelerating. There it is. There it is. Um, so today we're actually going to talk about that virus. We're also going to talk about the Democratic primary campaign for a change. We'll just mention it on this show. Um, it started 25 short years ago. And by the time it's done, I will be filling out Medicare forms. So um, the... Oh, you know what we're also going to talk about? Corporations. What role do they have in climate change? And finally, darkness. Is it ever actually dark enough? I know. That's a weird one. But we're going to fucking talk about darkness. I know. I know. I know, guys, but I think it's going to be interesting. You know what's really interesting, though, is today's panel. Oh, my God, you guys. Um, joining me both, again, they're veterans of the show. Um, this gentleman, he's, he hails from Los Angeles, and uh, he's normally not in town, but he's in town this week. We're so lucky to have him. You've heard him on Los Angeles editions of... Um, Fake the Nation, um, but he is the host of the Cracked Podcast, 
and he's had me on the Cracked Podcast. And the yeah. Cracked Podcast is so fun and smart. Oh, thank so you. So smart. Oh. Um, and and he is so smart, and he's so great and so delightful. You guys, it's Alex Schmidt. Hey, Alex. Nikki, that's the nicest intro I've gotten uh, in <laughs> centuries, I think, ever. That was thank so you. great. Thank you. I practiced that in oh. front of the mirror this morning. So uh, I don't know why I had to involve the mirror, because this is not a visual format. <laughs> they can uh, hear it, though. They can hear the, the dedication. <laughs> Um, okay. Also joining us on the panel today, you've heard him on this show before. He's officially veteran status. Uh, he's also even guest hosted when I've not been in this room. He's taken the helms of Fake the Nations. That's how good he is. We trust him with that. We would trust you too, Alex. Don't worry. Oh, that's crazy. It's just like you don't live in town, so it's just not as simple. Okay, no, no, but he's anyway, the guy, though. He's I didn't mean guy. to turn his compliment into an offense of you. You just can't help but compliment <laughs> um, Alex. I know. It's like, I want your intro to be a compliment of Alex yes. is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but you guys, you've heard his amazing work on the 538 podcast. You've heard his amazing work at the 30 for 30 series. Um, I mean, he... Oof. Uh, should I mention he was a WNYC under, just the, say my name. under the guidance of uh, Brian Lair, <laughs> the one and only? You guys, he's so fantastic. It's Jody Evergan. Hi. Hel- Whoa, what was that? Hi. Hi. Um, and he's 13 <laughs> years old it's, it's and he's experiencing yeah. some changes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is an honor to be here. And, and mo- moreover, I mean, it's great to be here with you, but to be next to Alex. I mean, who, I don't know if there's any other things look, you want to say. He's delightful. He's yeah. great. The Cracked Podcast is fantastic. Yeah. I feel um, like what you're doing you know is. Let me just point something else out about Alex. It's very (laughs) cold here today in New York. Mm. He showed up wearing basically a sweatshirt, no coat. That's what an amazing person this is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even feel cold, wow. Jody. Wow. He literally doesn't feel it. Um, <laughs> I was I was surprised when the outline came in and it just said Alex's greatness yeah. up top in yeah. like a giant font. <laughs> 14 minutes. But I was like, let's go with it. Sounds good. Oh, literally. Anita's <laughs> looking at me like, okay, really though? Okay. So you know what? Instead of continuing on with the Alex segment, we're going to go into topic number one. Oh my God. Oh, oh, oh you guys, you guys, before we get into topic number one, I really quickly wanted to make sure you know that we have a very exciting uh, series coming out. It's called Bonus the Nation, and it's basically all of the bonus episodes of Fake the Nation on Stitcher Premium. So if you're looking for a way to support the show, and so many of you have reached out and asked me how you can support the show. Well, this this is actually this is the big way you could support the show is to become uh, a member of Stitcher Premium um, and listen to all of Bonus the Nation, and you can do that um, by you by going to stitcherpremium.com and using the code uh, fake, that's F-A-K-E. So I hope you do that. The episodes are so good. We have been recording them and I'm like just really proud of them and really excited to share them with you and you're just, you're gonna love it. Uh, so again, that's, um, you know, go to Stitcher Premium uh, and use the code fake. Uh, and now, let's get into topic number one. So, Let's start with the miserable elections. Uh, The argument is continuously made that a contentious primary is, um, you know, really harmful to the party, um, that it'll be really bad in the general elections because we'll be so divided. Uh, I argue what's actually ruining the party is how fucking long this process is and how many states are essentially disenfranchised by the primary schedule. That's just, it's what I've been saying, and I will continue to say it because I would like us for us to actually change it. All right, I've been frustrated my whole life. Let's change it, though. Uh, but my question to you guys is, how 
do you feel? Where are the debates on Tuesday too contentious for comfort? It was hard to tell what anyone was saying. There was, it's like all the transcripts are just crosstalk, crosstalk, crosstalk yeah, all of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, uh, And yeah, I wish, I wish they didn't all feel the need to fight each other on everything, especially when you've got like Sanders and Warren, who are both the most progressive candidates that that I know of uh, in history. You know, like why do they need to butt heads all the time? Not needed. Yeah, I mean, there was, there's an element of desperation here just because of the calendar and the math. And so now, and it happens in every primary where people just realize like, oh no, this is my last shot. It was a, yeah. it was a horrible debate in terms of in terms of, no, in terms of just what you were discussing so much crosstalk the moderators were terrible it was just a bad yeah. sort of product yeah. and i don't think we learned much i feel like it was pretty typical for a debate where you know a leader is con- uh, uh, you know someone in in first is consolidating and there are a couple of lanes that are consolidating and it's the kind of like this is our last chance and you know i mean compare it to the republican debates in 2016, which were all like that. Yeah, true. Which were all that sort of yelly and crosstalky, but then also like bragging about penis size. This one felt, you know, <laughs> much, much more high-minded than those. Uh, so, you know. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, there were some moments um, I feel like, you know, uh, everyone, you know, piled on Bernie for a little bit because he is the, you know, yeah. seeming front runner. Um he has won, uh, you know, a plurality in three primary contests that should make no bearing on how you decide to uh, vote in your future primary. Whenever that is in New York, it's fucking next year. Our primary really doesn't <laughs> matter. Uh, so uh, but anyways, it's in April. Um, yeah, but it's uh, a small state. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, I think there were there was I mean, Look, I, I feel like everyone's saying the kind of same thing, which is like Pete and um, Amy sort of like canceled each other out or they just sort of like fell into like a weird uh, I crevice. I thought Buttigieg had actually a pretty strong debate. Really? I mean, I thought, you know, for what he want, needs to do and how he needs to sort of present himself um, – he had, you know, calm answers, rational answers. He spoke to a certain kind of, I think, voter that is genuinely out there. Um, I don't think it's going to shift the calculus considerably for him. But, I, you know, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. I mean, yeah. Look, like, they were all, again, if we're comparing this to the Republican debates of 2016, sure. like – they all fucking did great. You know what I mean? Like they all like said some things about policy and, uh, you know, um, fucking the one thing that I thought was maybe like a needless distraction was the Cuba stuff, um, which which we can get into like what it means to have that in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there was a, a big claim about Bernie kind of saying nice things about Cuba. And, you know, when you say it like that, you're like, so what? Or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, can you guys, I mean, explain to me what what is, um, what's the problem here? I, I, it, I feel like so many issues that come up in these debates are not incredibly relevant. Like, uh, almost all issues matter. It's just a thing of, like, when he's the president, is he just going to, like, surrender to the Cubans or something? It doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, right, right, right. Who cares? Right, like, so at this like, stage, the claim is that he's like said some nice things about their healthcare system and their education system. Um, yeah, I think I'll, he's pro healthcare and pro education, and just right, is looking it, for ideas. It yeah. ties into a larger story about Bernie Sanders, which is absolutely going to be the defining 
issue, I think, if it's him versus Trump, right, which is that election. he's a self-avowed socialist. And what does that mean? And for a lot of voters, you know, I would say for millennials, when they think socialism, they think, <clears throat> you know, they think Nordic countries, they think Sweden and Denmark. And for older voters, they think, you know, Cold War and it's going right. to fall so out along gonna, those lines. Yeah. And so I thought that was a a good preview of some of the stuff he's going to have to face. And frankly, he's going to have to face a much, much harsher, version. much harsher and, you know, worse faith arguments than that. And I yeah. think he needs to do a better job of handling it. You know, I th- he has a hard time. I think one of the points that was really interesting to me was um, Biden bringing up um, Bernie's record on gun control. And I actually feel like, you know, he didn't really... Uh, he has to have a better answer for that, too. You know, he said, like, that was a bad vote. Um, Talking about the Brady bill. Yeah. But I want to hear, I I think people want to hear some real, genuine emotion on what bad a vote that was and what it means and how he's changed and what he really wants to do. Like, I I don't think, I I don't feel he's as full-throated on gun control um, and and his bad votes in the past, which are going to, you know, which for the Democratic Party are going to come up, probably won't come up in the general election, to be to be right. frank. Yeah. Uh, right. So but it, but as a primary candidate, to me, that's a big issue. And I would love to hear just like a beautiful, like change of heart and what that meant to him to change. And uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I also think like this primary stage is really interesting to find out exactly how well they can argue things. And then in the general, it's just going to be whoever the nominee is, is a crazed socialist. Yes. And whoever the nominee is, is out to round up all the guns. And so like, even if we don't pick the actual literal socialist, they're just going to get called that by Republicans so, for, uh, for like a year. I mean, there is a, there is this like nervousness, I think, among Democrats. Democrats that like, oh, no, if it's Bernie or, so, you know, particularly Bernie, but, you know, uh, it's going to be a chaotic election in the fall. The election is going to be chaotic no matter it's a, who it and is. And also, yeah. right? Democrats and so, aren't nuts, right? Democrats aren't <laughs> going to be like, oh, I'm just not going to vote. It's been too contentious. Like, that's just not I don't understand that argument. But well, OK, yeah. let's talk about um so I just want to say for the record, we all know I'm in the bag for Elizabeth Warren. I thought she was fucking fantastic and super presidential during the debates. But we don't need to harp on that because you guys all know how I feel. Um, I will, however, I do think, though, let's just quickly make the case for Bernie. What? Why would he be a good commander in chief? Why would he do well in the general? What is the case for him? I think I when I think about Sanders and Warren, I feel like they both come to a lot of the same policies, but from sort of opposite mm-hmm. life directions. Yeah. Like Sanders came from it to it from being like even more of a socialist, maybe. right? Like ideological, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Warren came to it from being a Republican, and then seeing Republicans ravage the economy. You know, like it's a so it's a very interesting paths for both of them, and I. I'm trying to see the choice between them as like a nice uh, opportunity, you know? Like it's real lucky to have both of them around. It's like yeah, tough that I can nice only vote for one of it. them. Yeah, but yeah, uh yeah. but I don't know. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, they're both great. Um <laughs> yeah. and and uh, well, Jody, what's what is the case if someone wanted to go pull the lever for Bernie? Well, other than you know, he's running away with the thing. I mean, we'll see how it well, goes in the fall. That, but, fuck or that. We'll, we'll see I how it goes in South because Carolina. Because that disenfranchises me. So stop sure, that. Okay. So okay. Yeah, but, yeah, but, tell him, make the like, But, but even Elizabeth case. Warren is saying we have to play by the rules as they exist, as flawed as they are. And, you know, so that is. Mm-hmm. But in the general, I mean, I think that Bernie Sanders is the riskiest candidate in the strict 
in a sort of strict definition of risk, which is he has the highest upside and the high and the lowest downside. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a lot of people nervous. But, you know, I do think we have to look at the up how how big the upside is. And I mean, if you were to make a list of things that Bernie Sanders needed to do over the course of the primary to kind of like check boxes and show that he can get things done, he is kind of going through that list. I mean, he won the first two contests. Then he went to Nevada where he sort of showed that he can win a diverse coalition. His argument about turnout, there has been pretty big turnout, not bonkers turnout, but pretty big turnout. Right. But it hasn't been like they're arguing that there that, that there would be a sort of sea change type turnout. Sure. And that hasn't been the case in the in these primaries. So far. Sure. But, you know, when you get to a general election and, and everything's just him versus yeah. Trump. And again, you know, the upside is there. I do think the next things on the kind of checklist are things that are going to be a little harder for Bernie, which is frankly a little what you were discussing earlier, which is like tightening up his talking points and in a way like doing it in a way that will mollify the party elites. And, you know, you do have to sort of play that game, but Bernie has shown no interest. I mean, that's kind of why people like him in playing that game. So that's the big question, I think, over the next few weeks. Um, But, you know, there is like he has kind of done everything that you would ask of someone in his position up to this point. Yeah, I feel like if he shows a little heart and discipline and maybe a touch of remorse on some of the bad votes that it will it, he can he can really pull it out of the bag for for democratic primary voters who are like, you know, questioning him. Um I think Right. Part of the reason people like him is that he's never like he has that little bit of a Trumpian quality where he doesn't yeah. say, I'm sorry. Um, and, he, you know, yeah. like I mean, he has at least he has he has played by the rules. He did begrudgingly support Hillary Clinton in 2016. Right, like he like d- has done the things he are sort of supposed to do if he can do them with a little more gusto and a little more politicking then he'd be really in a great position i think not only for democratic primary voters who are questioning him you're just you're and... describing elizabeth warren you're describing the elizabeth warren yeah, in your head yeah. i'm trying not to i'm like literally trying not to promote elizabeth warren right now but this is what i'm saying like yeah. it's possible he's a fucking adult he's got all of the fancy smart people they know what to do so do it you know what i mean so do that well i know i was just saying that they also I think I was kind of saying they're both the same in a lot of ways, but also one thing that is nice for him is he can a little bit run against the Democratic Party, kind of like like there were right, the way Trump was yeah, running against the Republican Party. Yeah, like Trump never meant it, but he could run against like Bush's wars a little bit, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And Bernie can say, "I I'm a great Democratic candidate, and I don't do a lot of their mistakes." Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And whether or not that's totally true or not, it's a really convincing pitch for people. I think. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay, let me let's quickly also now make the case for Biden because mm-hmm. Biden just got, you know, he's he's seemingly in the polls ahead of everybody in South Carolina. Um, you know, the population of South Carolina, what is it like 50% African American or something? Mm-hmm. It's a very high percentage of African American voters in South Carolina, so that's going to be like a very big litmus test for that demographic. And then um he also just got the endorsement of um Clyburn in in Congress, which is like a really big deal for South Carolina. Um what is the case for pulling the lever for Biden? Is we I think like it used to be, you know, so many candidates. 
Uh, and now that we've winnowed it down a bit, I think he fell into being like maybe the third best Democratic option, like by attrition. I, I thought people like Julian Castro were amazing and that now they're just not in it anymore. Right, right, right. Uh, but of of the people who are not Sanders and Warren, I, I think I'm the most into him. It's very Which, marginal, That's though. very interesting. Yeah. Uh, can I point out something about Biden? I did a little a side-by-side comparison yesterday of Biden and Bernie. They oh, both, yeah. you know, like, for example, they both want to end cash bail. They want to both e- eliminate mandatory minimum sentences and private prisons and, fu- and raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, you know, there's uh, he, indi- you know, he indicates support of paid family leave, which is a big progressive platform as well. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of things on which he's actually, you know, quite progressive. Um, and then there's some, you know, things where, you know, for example, like he he wants to end new oil and gas leases on federal land and, and offshore drilling, but maybe supports some limited fracking or understands that the fracking might be a transitional energy the way I think Klobuchar also pointed um, has that position. Um, he wants to tax carbon emissions it, it versus like imposing severe like regulations on them. So he's maybe a little bit robust robust on some of these other issues where a progressive candidate would be. Uh, more robust. Um, yeah. But and, I think, and I think everybody's pushed him left a bit, too. And that's OK. You and know, that's useful. OK. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah. So if you want to pull the lever for Biden and look, many Americans do. So that's just something we should reckon with, though I believe they should be doing it for Warren. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but no. But if you want to pull the lever for Biden, you're not pulling the it's not the Biden of 20, 2008. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is a slightly more liberal Joe Biden. And I think that's, um, you know, something that could hearten um, Democratic primary voters if, in fact, we do end up with Biden as the as the nominee. Yeah, I I think that's a great summation of where he stands policy wise. I'll just point out sort of electorally. I mean, this is the this is the case with these primaries where every two days there's an entirely new conventional wisdom and it actually does have an impact and people react to it. But, you know, all along, Biden's strategy was kind of I'm going to let the first three, certainly the first two go, and I'm just going to wait for South Carolina, and that's going to be my firewall, and then I'm going to go from there. And there is a pretty good chance that that exact strategy could start to play out. And so we just need to remember that, like, uh, before any of this voting started, we had a notion of what Biden's strategy was that is still in place. Um, You know, I I think certainly the way he fell off a cliff in the first three states says something, but he is – you know, his chances – it's for South Carolina. I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but his chances for South Carolina are going up. I think he is in the driver's seat there. And then you never know. Like yeah. if he can cons- consolidate that lane, it may just be that, oh, Biden knew what he was doing all along. Right. And then a third of the population votes on Super Tuesday. Yep. Um, but remember that still um, more than half of the population awaits their vote. So can I ask you a question about that? Because you started by saying this thing has been going on forever. Yeah. And then you said, but. Only a small percentage of states get yes. to decide. How do you how do you, how do you square those things? Because if you want, if your instinct is, I want everyone to have a say. Yeah. What you're talking about is a year long election. I'm talking about where we hold off on this, and that drags and drags and drags. Well, I'm talking about a same day primary okay. yeah. uh, with ranked choice voting, or a same day primary with a runoff uh, sure. vote as well. Right. Um, so that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Okay. Uh, and that and then the Democratic Party can design ways through where they place um, debates and through where they do straw polls and blah, 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 to make that um, make it so that, you know, the, the um, candidates go to rural areas yeah. and blah, 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 blah. There's just ways to design it to make it still um, friendly to small states. So I know that's an issue. Anyways, we're not talking about that today. Today, 
we are going to uh, okay. So that was guys. The point was I wanted to make a case for Bernie, a p- case for Biden, um, and uh, so that I'm not so uh, war and heavy. Yeah. And uh, I think I think Biden is the most reasonable way you can make a mistake uh, okay. as a voter. Uh, <laughs> it's the absolute best. Most straightforward, most honorable error. If it's if it's listed alphabetically, he's at the top. That should be on a campaign poster. Like Biden, the most reasonable way to make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. At, um, le- at least it's not the the, the crazy Bloomberg uh, guy who just bought your vote with right. enough TV ads pointed at you. Yes, you know, like yes. good job. That's I, fine. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I sort of feel the same. Actually, feel very much that way about you know Klobuchar and and Pete too. That they're 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 good, right? Like they're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they've, they've done public service they've before. Done public, and stuff. They are good. Yeah. You know, yeah. So right. um yeah. So I I feel like look I I don't think we should be so fucking down. Um about the candidates. And I don't think that a Bernie nomination is the end of the world the way everybody's writing about it, but I think it's because it's either you write about that or the coronavirus this week. Mm -hmm. So I feel like... Fuck that narrative. You know what I mean? We have a slate of very excellent candidates, plus a billionaire who wants to buy your vote. Um, so, you know, <laughs> let's one, remember that. And one other little thing that's worth keeping in mind is just that as chaotic as that debate felt, as much as it felt like they were all going after each other, no one is going to remember it in six months. I mean, we will just Agreed. have forgotten it. And there is also empirical evidence that tends to show that contested primaries don't mean that the candidate emerges more harmed yeah. in the general. It's just oh, a re- it's so just stop a huge— that thing. Peace, guys. It's just a huge reset button when we get into the general and there will be huge things that we can't even foresee now when it's in the general. And so, you know, I know it makes people nervous. We're like, oh, everyone should get along. Like, oh, we're saying things on this stage that then is going to get used in the fall. They're going to find that the awful things to say in the fall, regardless of what got said on the debate stage uh, in late February. So just, you know, yeah, it's fine. So everyone calm down. All right, you guys, uh, why don't we take a quick break and learn about our sponsors? And then when we come back, we'll talk coronavirus. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. 
Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I had tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. <laughs> so they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. They're no fuss, no mess meals. Um, they eliminate the hassle of having to prep. 
They're tailored to your schedule. Um, you can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've, pa- I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fakethenation50 at factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back and we're ready for topic number 1.5. Okay. Uh, The CDC's principal deputy director said this week that, it quote, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when and how many people will be infected, uh, referring to the coronavirus. Um... You know, this is this is what makes mothers around the country call their daughters in an utter panic. Uh, where so? W- I did when you when you said your mom has called you twice a day. I was like, oh, is she busy or something? Like she, <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't got much time. Or something. Like, it's it's constant. Yeah, I've, everybody's I've freaking out. I haven't gotten a single call from my mom. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, no, I mean, I she called twice once because I couldn't really talk, and then another she called the day before. So, anyways, it's she's called <laughs> like basically two days in a row. I don't mean oh, yeah, to yeah. like exaggerate my claims. She's not a crazy person, but she is like a worry wart. Uh, so I guess it's their role. It's good, and and, yeah. and you know what it is. It's like I mean, and I think for me too, it's the images out of Italy. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I mean, it's like. For some reason, you sort of were like, well, uh, a Western country will have exactly the right uh, response to this situation and they will shut it down immediately and there won't be a problem and everyone will be on the streets of Milan. Um, And then to see the streets of Milan empty in the news footage, I think that is quite shocking. Uh, So do you feel like there's um, basically is it? Are we at mom panic or should we be where Trump is, where he's like, everything's fine, don't worry? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, my mother or Trump? Who do I trust <laughs> in most situations? 
the uh, worst general election decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I well, it's it's the kind of thing where, as an individual, I I don't know what to do about a global pandemic. Really, like I, I like I'll save up some food and try to wash my hands a lot and stuff. Yeah, uh, but I'm just trying to be wary. Uh, I'm flying from JFK to LAX tomorrow, so I'm not a wise person, but I, I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful it'll work out, uh, and we see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it seems to me like this was the week in which a lot of people realized this is going to be a thing that we live with, right? Um, and actually, I see some hope there because I think a lot of the pieces that that came out this week. I'll give a shout out to my friend Jim Hamblin who wrote a piece for the Atlantic that I thought it was the smartest on this front, which was basically saying. A lot of the world is going to get this thing. Yeah. But the reason that it spread so fast and we weren't able to contain it is because a lot of the cases are mild or asymptomatic. And that means that it is a very serious virus, but it is not Ebola. It is not these things where you get it Mm. and all of a sudden everyone realizes you have it and you get quarantined and so forth. So, you know, I think I've, I've chatted with him. I think. You know, yeah, the way, it's the, subtlety is yeah, what's so right. dangerous. And I think about it's just it. going to be in a couple years. Like right now, what when we enter a, a winter, we have the the flu and pneumonia, and you know, now we're going to have the flu, pneumonia, and coronavirus. It's going to be one of those just things that is out there that we're going to have to deal with. To me, I think the real danger, and this is where Trump is, you know, I think scares me, is in the the political response. Uh, and that's where I think it's going to be, both both in terms of containment of it, but also, you know, I, I my hunch is what Trump is going to do is go from one extreme of everything's going to be fine all the way to another extreme of, I don't know. I mean, I you know, but it does scare me, the, the well, risk he, there I mean, it's of just so shutting weird because... things down and taking sort of really yeah. sort of strong men. Uh, you know, I think right, there's going to be a moment. version of like a war would be yeah. shut everything down. Whatever the sending troops yeah. to the border equivalent of right. dealing with this is. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is to me, I think, you know, a real fear is the sort of political response and a real worry because, you know, in his head, I think containment is the only bar. And this is going to grow regardless of what politicians do. And it's really about mitigating that growth and being smart and thinking about this as a thing that's going to be with us for over years and decades. And he's not built that way. And what did you guys think of him naming Pence as the head of the project? (laughs) Oh, Dr. Mike Pence? Well, it's very good. Um, (laughs) That, that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist about things. And when I saw that press conference, which was not a good press conference and not any good ideas, I also thought, like, at least <laughs> at least Trump supporters will have heard of the disease. Like, good. Like, if, yeah, if we're yeah, so yeah, divided yeah. in our media diets, at least him talking about it is like an awareness campaign <laughs> for uh, a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but that's the only good thing. But Mike Pence um, is there to be a scapegoat or do nothing. That's it. Right. That's yeah. what I sort of felt. It felt like, oh, we. I, I'm going to put this guy that's an hmm. afterthought in my entire administration at the head of the thing. Um, And I think, you know, obviously eyebrows were raised because under Pence's watch in Indiana, there was an uh, AIDS outbreak um, and they wanted him to provide clean needles uh, for intravenous drug users. um, And he wouldn't do it because he thought it would promote more drug use. Um, Mm. And instead, it actually just created this AIDS outbreak. Um, Well, how could he have known that other than data and science? Right. No, and that everyone told him. Yeah. Like, so. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) So, um, so, so that's, I mean, I think a big concern is that he hasn't shown any real good judgment on this type, uh, um, you know, on, yeah. on viruses in the past, well, on I'm how also, they move. I, I don't know if I'm like uh, uh, too easily upset, but every time Trump or the media reports this as a stock market story, 
really bugs me. Really don't like it. It's a it's a disease. It's people's lives. Yeah, but um, in terms of yeah. things that will affect Trump, it's right, and get his story. attention, yeah, yeah, and also yeah. frankly be threats to his reelection. Like I genuinely think this could be a, a threat to his reelection, right? Because of both the stock market, which I think he equates with the economy. That's a whole other thing. But he yeah. uses it as a way to say the economy is doing well, which I think is his strongest argument. So if that goes off the table because of this, it has direct electoral implications and because of his behavior and his reaction. And I mean, if he takes draconian measures, yeah. it will be something that I, you know, I think it, I think it genuinely has the ability to, to yeah, affect the Yeah, no, election. I agree. And it's so mm. odd because right now we're in that phase of his psyche where he feels so – he's so arrogant. He thinks that – under his presidency, coronavirus won't affect yeah. people. You know what I mean? It's so fucking bananas. But that's like the message, right? right. And um, and so I, I know. But I wanted to mention a couple of things for those of you who might be panicking out there. Uh, does anyone remember like how SARS like went? Do you remember feeling right. yeah, what SARS happened? It was I, yeah. I don't remember very much, but it was essentially like a wash your hands campaign um, that that kind of put an end to SARS. SARS was, I think, was less uh, lethal, I think, and, yeah. I think, and less I think, easily transmitted. Uh, yeah, and more and, and was a little more contained. But I agree. I, it's important to remember these previous moments yeah, of panic. Happened. Don't talk about 1916, but, you know, other than that. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Spanish remember. flu. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I, so the wash your hands thing, still very important, guys. Wash your hands. And then another one, which is, I think, harder to, a harder habit to break, is coughing into your elbow, not your hand. Yeah. Because we oh, learned yeah. as kids to cough into your hand. Uh, that's a bad idea. You cough into your elbow, guys. Uh, so do that. And then, yeah, like keep some f- – I mean, look, they're saying that you should be prepared and just hopefully you won't have to use any of these, um, you know, precautions, but like have a month's supply of food and have – if you're on some sort of medication, have a month's supply of that. Also, weirdly, I mean, the, the weirdest thing is that so many of our drugs get made in China. Um, oh. So they're a supplier for so many, yeah. especially antibiotics. I think the other positive thing that could come out of this is recognizing that one country – shouldn't have some sort of monopolistic um, dominance over the, you know, the the manufacture of some very important things in our <laughs> life. You know what I mean? Like, let's fucking diversify, guys. Anyways. Uh, so, yeah. So there's um, and then a, a safe distance, to, you know, from people who are coughing uh, and stuff like that is six feet um, you know, and yeah. uh, avoid Japan, Italy, Iran, and China and South Korea right now for traveling purposes. Um, <laughs> and I think you know, and if you're sick, stay home from work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, many many elements of it are just like good things to do. Like yeah. I've only I've only been in New <laughs> yeah. York a couple days, and everyone's been offering me hand sanitizer all the time, and I'm like, oh, what a utopian society where I'm just given hand sanitizer. <laughs> it's all, the, all time. the same advice right. that we get every flu season, but you know, but for real. But, <laughs> but do like, them this time. Do but yeah. do them this time. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the wa- basically wash your hands all the time, and then wash surfaces. Oh, that's a big way that it get things get transmitted is surfaces. You put your hand on a surface, and previously someone had coughed on that surface. So, you know, your counters, your desks, do some nice wipings, you know? Uh, All right, you guys, we are going to move on to topic number two. Okay, so um, last week, Jeff Bezos announced that he was giving $10 billion of his own money to climate change. He's worth $130 billion, by the way, so I just want to point out, so we can just see what percentage that is. Um... (laughs) 
Uh, Amazon, by the way, is also one of the biggest polluters in the world. Okay, whatever. Also, side note. And uh, companies like Microsoft and Delta have also announced climate change as part of their mission. Um, And it seems to be a growing trend. Um, Is this a trend we should believe in, like, amidst intergovernmental inaction? um, Is this, you know, are are corporations the answer? Uh, No, they're not. Well, I, I feel like I feel like a corporation's job is like is is truly to make money. Like that's what they exist to do. A government's job is to like manage that and take care of us. And so it's the government's job. If a corporation wants to like do anything that's great, it's also probably free advertising and marketing for themselves yeah. as a positive force. Uh, so anything they want to do is good. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I also I just I'm always hung up on Jeff Bezos's company being named after one of the most famous rainforests, and yet they're oh. <laughs> they're a huge. Uh, you know, detriment to that. It's very weird and probably an accident. I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think with as with most things, when someone does something, it's very good to take a half a step back and, and sort of look at what their motivations are and think yeah. about where they're, you know, what, what, why they're really doing this. That said, like at this point, I will take, you know, crass uh, capitalistic incentives for to yeah. if it means you know actual action. But I, you know, I think the 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 interesting conversation that is. That has spurred that this has spurred is around the kind of larger context of yes, these corporations are are making cer- certain efforts, but then you look at the you know the political lobbying they do, and uh, you know that you, you know the the playing the game of oh well this is only X percentage of his wealth. And I don't know about that one. I want always just like yes, these people are super duper duper wealthy. Look at the actual amount they're giving and see if that will make a, a change. But I do think a lot of these corporations that are like giving money on one hand or making statements on one hand and then like donating to a uh, dysfunctional Congress on the other, you know, donating to Mitch McConnell who yep. has held up a bunch of these legislations and it's ultimately going to be political action that solves these things. That is something that we should absolutely interrogate. Yeah. And I want to point out that the case that you're talking about is, you know, uh, Microsoft, Microsoft yeah. pledges, you know, to go carbon negative by 2030, um, which means they basically want to be removing carbon uh, from the atmosphere. Um, and, and and some of the things they want to do is invest in uh, carbon capture. And that's fantastic. The only problem is carbon capture doesn't really exist yet, like in a in a in an actual feasible form that could have like effect uh, on a global scale. So so some of these these promises are a little bit like meh. But then the weird thing about Microsoft, as um, Jody was mentioning, is that they've also, um, you know, heavily donated to the election of uh, Mitch McConnell, you know, who basically questions climate change science um, and has like um, a seven percent lifetime score from the League of Conservation Voters. So he's garbage uh, when it comes to uh, uh, conservation and and climate change. Um, well, everyone has one fault, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's that's, that optimism. That's, that's, just, that's just one fault. But like a lot of these things, it does come down to political will and political action and, and, and you know, long-term thinking on the part of our elected officials. And that is not – we're not living in a sort of golden age for that. No, and and again, like I think it's interesting to look at these different countries and what they're doing and how meaningful it is. Um, And and not – I think let us not be overly impressed by their claims. I think that's something that we should look out for Um, because part of what upsets me is that a major precipitating factor for all of these um, climate cha- climate change becoming a part of their corporate missions of a lot of these huge companies is that this guy Larry Fink of BlackRock, who invests 
who they have majority stakeholding in so many of these companies. He basically came out with a letter. He apparently writes some fucking famous letter every year or whatever. And <laughs> he came out with this letter that's like climate change has to be a part of like what we do um, and what corporations do. And, uh, you know, it can't just be profit. Um, and that's great. And so then BlackRock, you know, one of the things they said was um, – Shit, sorry, as I look for the thing that they said, that they would no longer invest in companies deriving 25% or more of their revenues from thermal coal. And that's great. But then it actually only affects about a quarter of the um, emissions from coal, right? Like it's Uh not – they weren't like we're completely divesting from thermal right so um so so again like that's great larry fink that's fantastic that you said that with your famous little letter and then that's great you know that's great that you're that blackrock won't um invest in companies driving 25 percent or more of their revenues from thermal coal but it's like you could have gone further same you know same with jeff bezos right like 10 billion dollars like that's totally great like super fantastic for you um and for the globe hopefully uh however uh you have more money than that and also your your company is the is a big, 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 big polluter. Um, so what what is your company going to do? And you know, and some of those things are are true and good, like re- re- replacing the trucks with an electric fleet. Um, yeah. You know, you kind of have to carry through. Where does the electricity come from for that fleet? Okay, is it coming from solar panels? That's great. If it's coming from wind, that's great. If it's not, if it's coming from coal, that is not great. You know what I mean? So we yeah. need to like. We need more transparency, basically. What exactly does all of this mean um, when it's coming from someone like Jeff Bezos and Amazon? Uh, well, Delta, for example, said that they're they're a huge, huge. They're an airline. They're a fucking airline, right? So they're going to be a huge carbon emitter. Um, but they said by by March first, they're going to go carbon neutral. So basically, uh, what that means for Delta, it doesn't mean that planes are solar powered. Obviously, it means that they're going to do op- they're going to buy carbon offsets, and that's great. Um, but also, we don't know exactly how much carbon offsets actually offset. <laughs> you know, it could be yeah. you're f- f- funding the, the an entirely new forest. It could mean you're funding um, some someone not to cut down a forest. Uh, like Annie. it's just like a. It's unclear. Anytime I try to read a story about carbon offsets, I feel like I'm reading about like trades in a sport I don't know. <laughs> like it's really it's very hard to follow. It's like they they're trading yeah. their stuff for a coral reef to be named later and like I don't I don't <laughs> know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, can, can I ask you a question though cuz you, earlier you mentioned and I I think about this too and I'm I'm curious where you're at like yeah. uh that a lot of this feels like marketing, you know, and that we're at a yeah. point now where it feels like it's 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 cynical, but it's, you know, a good look to talk about these things. Do you think we're still at that place where you see a lot of these big corporations or do you think it started to shift over? You know, if you have like doing nothing, a spectrum of like doing nothing, doing something because it's good marketing, doing something because it's good economic interest and then doing something because it's the right thing to do. I don't think we're at that at the right thing to do level yet. But have we shifted from people are acting because it's good marketing to people are acting because there's actually an economic incentive to act? That's a great question. I think, yeah, I, uh, it's easy to say it's a mix. But like I actually, with the presidential stuff, I've been thinking about Tom Steyer a lot. Because Tom Steyer is like, other than pointlessly running for president and wasting our time, pretty cool. Like he's done, 
he's, he, he, that's a bumper sticker. He made a bunch of money and then spent no, it, it on like uh, yeah, on in good, twenty on good things. Yeah. yeah, like in 2010, he put five million bucks into defeating a ballot measure that would have held back a bunch of California environmental legislation. And like, like there are people out there like that who, all the way from small business owners who are saying like. I want to be one of the small businesses that is good to people who work their way up to being like the CEO of Delta or something and say like, oh, I really want to do something good. Mm -hmm. There are those people out there. And then also it's a good way to market to half the country. And it's just so hard to pull apart. It does seem that he's spending most of his post-business life apologizing for having made so much money in his business life and trying to make good on it. I mean, it does feel that way with Tom Steyer, actually. Yeah. And Uh, And if he bankrolled like hundreds of progressive candidates instead of buying all of Iowa's airtime, he would be the best. Right. I would love it. Right. right. Yeah. Which is also, I will say, one of the arguments for Bloomberg. Sorry to say this. But, you know, that, that like, <laughs> that, you know, he could spend his money. And, yeah. you know, again, we will see. But he has pledged to continue to spend at this rate, regardless of who the nominee is. Yeah. I'll be yeah. curious to Let's see how see that plays if out. if it's Bernie. But, yep. but yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's just a crisis of conscience, though. It's a mix of all these things. Yeah. I hope Mike doesn't hear the things I've been saying about him. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> he might change his mind. Um, I, but, I, you know, and I do, I do want to say in terms of your spectrum of, like, doing nothing, doing something because of good PR, blah, blah, blah. Like, Delta's putting in $100 million a year on this offset. If we see actual transparency and actual reporting of where did the – hundred million dollars go what did that offset what was you know yeah like i i want and i and real investigative reporting on that then a hundred million dollars is a shitload of money you know what i mean it's not it does dig into their profits right like that's a number that is something that's putting a dent in profit and i think that at least is admirable and i I will say also like it's worth noting that the conversation has shifted to these bigger systemic things. Now, maybe bigger systemic moves on the part of businesses. There's obviously moves on the part of, but, you know, we are not having an environmental climate crisis conversation based on like, you should recycle your cup or you should change your light bulbs. All of those personal behavior things are important, but I think we've at least sort of flipped and realized that it's going to take big systemic structural changes. And this is an indicator of that. Yeah. Um, that was just a way of me mentioning Elizabeth. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, no, I am, um, you guys, and I, I, I want to point out, like, that the conversation has shifted. And I, I think one more thing that I would love to add to the shift is, like, like us being really aware of the the transparency piece, um, like what it is that we're doing, that our governments might be doing, that these corporations might be doing. Because, for example, you know, at, at Amazon, some employees complained that Amazon was still working with oil and gas and they had written like, you know, um, letters about mm-hmm. it. And then they were told that, you know, they they received letters saying like, hey, if you keep complaining about this, like you might be fired. Huh. So that's the kind of... Oh, like thing. in a bad way? No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of thing. Freed to go explore your environmental journey. I think that's the way they put it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of thing that I'm just like, well, that's what we don't want. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you believe in doing this, that also means that that your employees should be free um, to be transparent about what the company does and does not do when it comes to um, their environmental policy. Totally. So um, I don't know. Let me guys let me know what you think of corporations getting into the climate change game. Uh, do you believe it? Where is your heart on this issue? Um, I'm so excited to hear from you. Uh, let us move on to topic number three. 
so we read a piece by Maria Browning called In Search of Darkness, in which she described all of these joyful moments of darkness from her childhood. And then she points out, I'm just going to read from her piece, we've mostly lost the darkness now. Even deep in the country, half the houses are adorned with glaring 24-hour lights that push into the surrounding woods and invade the sky. In more urban places, there's scarcely a dark corner left, though the whole world is lit up like an interstate truck stop nominally to make us safer. Um, so, uh, okay, so this was, a, I thought this was a really interesting piece. I, my first question is like, what is your relationship to darkness and have you noticed a change in over your lifetime? I really, I really related to the piece, especially because a lot of her darkness experiences also had to do with nature. Mm-hmm. It wasn't her just sitting in a room in her house with the lights off. It right. was like going out and, uh, and I, I had a lot of formative camping experiences, and also my mom used to uh, volunteer at an observatory. Uh, so we would go like look at the stars with like groups and stuff, and and that's uh, very uh, distinctive in my mind. Yeah, and and always and that's really I was lovely, never actually. I was never doing that, and also wound up about school or something. You know, like yeah, yeah. it's very peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Right, and so have you felt like darkness has changed? Uh, well, uh, it's spent a lot of time in LA. It's not really there. Uh, <laughs> they don't but you can do find that. it pretty quick, right? I mean, I feel like when you, yeah. one of the things about LA, maybe it's just the sort of the mountains or whatever, but you can actually in 20 minutes yes. uh, get to a place where you're like, oh, wow, stars, you know? I, I know. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can drive to it fast and, and here you probably have to take the, the Metro North or whatever it is people <laughs> do. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's a, it has to be sought out and you have to put some resources into it, but then it's great. Uh, Jody, what's your relationship? Um, I, I mean, mostly similar to, you know, to Alex's. I mean, I think like I've spent same a lot of time. Observatory? Yeah, no, same observatory? Yeah, same observatory. The same mom who did the same. Uh, um, uh, we have know, am- I love... like halves of an amulet that match. Yeah. And, oh, we're brothers, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Uh, I think, I think, especially if you live in a city, but I think just in general, like going into the middle of nowhere and looking up and seeing stars is one of those things that will like never get old. Like mm-hmm. it's like how spring every year spring happens. I'm like, holy shit, spring! Like yeah. it's a warm. Oh, yeah. This is crazy. Like yeah. it's never the thrill never dies yeah, away, and that's yeah. one thrill that is just always there for me. Um, and I do try and seek it out. I mean, I do also think though. I think when I was at I was at WMIC for many years, and we did a whole series about like light pollution in the city. And I do think it there has been a conversation over the last ten years a little bit about that and about light being a form of pollution. And I think it's gotten a little better. Maybe I'm just more attuned to it, but I feel like people are realizing, like people are realizing that like the blue light off of their phones is not very good. I think people mm. are realizing like when you sleep, you want to be genuinely, you know, in the dark. dark yeah. I've started wearing a sleep mask when I sleep because I think it's like, you want to be, and it really helps. Bragging. You want to be, you want to be really, <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think we, um, like a lot of things, we're starting to realize the sort of benefit in the simplest things. Right. I mean, I, my relationship with darkness is interesting because I grew up in the desert. And then so mm-hmm. in Palm Springs, California, very has an interesting, you know, they have a, a, a light pollution policy because, you know, when you're in the desert, you do want to look up and see the stars and it's and you can see them like quite perfectly, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, and so at night, it was always like very dark uh, and they don't do a lot of street lights like there's just it there isn't that v- much of that stuff i mean we do have some of it but it's it's definitely noticeably darker when i'm there than any other you know if i'm in a, a suburb of some other city i would not feel that kind the kind of darkness that i do in palm springs um i do think one of the things that um has has changed is is the kind of i think in 
in suburban context, yeah. the like house that puts on the light in the thing, the doorway area for like per, for for security. I feel like that has become more. And now that everybody has like those cameras right. uh, that can be easily be hacked into or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and that are like dangerous unto themselves. Um, <laughs> Those cameras on on the the porch or whatever, I think those get. The, I'm talking about things. I, I know I sound crazy talking about them because I live in an apartment, so I'm like, what is a porch? You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> but like, but I feel like that whole system of like, you know, security has really led to a lot more of those kinds of lights, and that I feel like is something that I've noticed. Um, even going back to Palm Springs, um where we didn't really have very much of that stuff uh, growing up. I feel like I see it now. But, you know, I remember as a kid, uh, there was this, you know, in high school, there's this place in Palm Springs called The Circles, Mm -hmm. which was essentially just um, cul-de-sacs that had not been (laughs) built on. And so they were literally circles, cul-de-sac circles. Like a a pavement pattern, like a crop circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were just it was just some pavement that was in the shape of a circle. There was a few, I don't know, a handful (laughs) of them. And they never built the houses. And they never built the houses. I don't know if they ever did. But anyways, they never built the houses. At the time they hadn't built the houses. So kids would go over there and like fucking maybe have a a cigarette or whatever, (laughs) right? And I was actually not cool enough to go to the circles, but I I did go um, a few times. Shout out to PSHS um, and the people who made me feel unwelcome uh, <laughs> 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 at the circles. I knew I knew my fucking status, guys. I didn't need to be. <laughs> I didn't need to feel it that hard. Okay. I'm, I'm um, just imagining this weird pavement and then one little velvet rope, and it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. no, I can't go. How would I get around? Well, because it? you have to drive on the long <laughs> path to get to the circle, knowing that they're not going to let you in. And then when they say no, you gotta, you, you can't use the cul-de-sac to turn around. <laughs> right, you have to right. back up. Right. It's no, very it's, it's yeah. very awkward. Yeah. No, and then the other <laughs> weird thing about the, it actually got even darker than the just the fucking velvet rope on the circle <laughs> because there's something called the tunnels. <laughs> We had like a lot oh. of just physical structures that we like to call yeah. by their names. The name creativity um, of yeah, this town very, is very, very impressive. <laughs> but the I think and I think the tunnels were very close to the circle, so you could walk <laughs> to the tunnels, and it was just like a little tunnel underneath the desert that came. You know, it was not very long. It was I don't let's say. Forty feet long or whatever, and you would walk through them, and it was like very scary because it was really fucking dark. Um, and you would go to the other side, and like that was the whole point of the tunnel. Um, but uh, but uh, but the thing, weird thing about the desert is that the moon very intensely illuminates everything. So I remember as a child being like, "God, this moon really has got its shit together. Like it's very <laughs> effective." Um, and I, you know, and it's definitely something you know. Know, you sort of living in New York City never. I mean, you the, the moon is very much an afterthought um, of your your time because huh. it's not illuminating like the no, city. No, it's not doing its job. But every no. once in a while, you look up and you catch it, and it's, it's, right. it's kind of great, right? Uh, Especially like the uh, the silhouette of the moon against an interesting building, and you're like, ah, oh, Manhattan. Yes. You know what I mean? You can, have that I, moment. Can, can I point out something in this piece which I really loved as well? Yeah. But you know, she 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 describes really moments where she 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 loves being in the dark and she talks about sort of wandering in the woods as the as the sun falls or being in her in her mother's house by herself and 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 it's dark there and but i think a lot of the 
situation she's describing, it's not just darkness, but it's also solitude and quiet yeah, and these other yeah, things yeah. that are just yeah. as important. And, you know, maybe it's not, so it's not just, you need to be in darkness. It's just, we need to cherish moments where we're kind of with ourselves and we're not f- fielding a million kinds of inputs. Um, and, and I think darkness is a good proxy for that because chances are, if you're standing in the dark, you might be alone and quiet. Uh, but you know, those are the moments that actually I think lead to the kind of beautiful things she's writing about here. You yeah, wow. I'm going to go ahead. I, I, you disagree? I'm gonna, I disagree. No, I mean. You're, you're standing in a dark room just fucking looking at Twitter, <laughs> listening to a podcast. Uh, no, because it's funny. You're right. A lot of her stuff. She was clearly like a solitude person. And yeah. her and she also talked about her mom living in the woods. Her mom had left suburbia yeah. or like or, or like not even she was in a small town. And, and the, a couple of people had started to move into the area and she couldn't handle the lights. And she moved into the woods where there was really, really nothing. Nothing. Um, and that's where she felt the most calm. And I was just like, oh, this is some fucking on Walden Pond shit right mm-hmm. here. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like that whole notion, the my, it's funny because my meaningful memories of darkness is was surrounded by other Fair people enough. in darkness. And that and that's yeah. I've never been one of these solitude guys. You know what I mean? Like I'll <laughs> I'll fucking do a meditation. I get that I have to because I got the anxiety. But I don't. I'm. I am not interested in a in in a in a world where I don't mm-hmm. see people. You know what I mean. And so for me, darkness is not. She for her, it's definitely a solitude thing. And yeah. I think for me, it's more about just ex- appreciating um, the kind of magnificence of what the moon does and how it does its job, and that you can do that. I'll very quickly with say that there is common ground between us. My ideal situation is being surrounded by a, a number of people. But no one is saying anything. Oh, that's yeah. my comfort zone. Yeah, that's oh. a nice honestly. One. I kind of wish that I was hoping this podcast would, would just be us. <laughs> Can we I? Should, yeah, it should just be us, and we mic a campfire. You know, <laughs> oh, I'd be the chillest of the world. Love it. <laughs> oh, we fucking skyrocket to number one on the charts. Um, can, like, can I also point out the interesting thing? Because you sort of think of like cities as being, you know, bastions of light or whatever. And my experience of Havana, Cuba, is that it is also very dark. Um, anyone in here oh, been to Havana? I have been to Havana. Did you feel that way in Havana? Um, I mean, it, there's an old, there's a part of the old city that is sort of closed in and so you end up in these alleys or these small roads right. that feel like closed in i don't you know i, so, I mean in general struck me, they so this is something that really struck me when i was there and i don't know if it was like in my head or if it was actually happening but a lot of the like electricity usage is very sure. low in the country just because it's a poor country and they don't you know a lot of like fluorescent lights and da 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 and um and so this and the street light lamps are pitched very low, so they're like not illuminating very much. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it's very odd. And I remember, and the thing is, you know, a lot of the streets are sort of crumbling, and the sidewalks are not, you know, clear and clear sidewalks that you can just, you know, confidently make your stride. Um, and so when it's when it was dark, and I remember constantly being like, ah, ah, like just like tripping <laughs> because it was because it wasn't very illuminated, and we were really struck by that um, in various parts of Havana to, to feel that way. And and I also think, and I, I mean, I don't, again, I, I have no idea, but I also wonder if that's, you know, maybe they also nationally treasure darkness, you know? I'm making a yeah, crazy claim, but there it is. 
Well, it, and America, it's a pretty new country. Like a lot of our stuff was built after electricity. So it's kind of hard to find places like that. And maybe maybe right. we value it more because we uh, lack it I, like I, all over the place. I think yeah, Bernie praised Cuba's relationship with darkness at the debate. <laughs> the other night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you caught that. Uh, <laughs> he just wait, started I, unplugging but, stuff in the yeah. room, you know? <laughs> um, but but we, it's, it's, we've had this fairly long discussion about darkness and none of us have, ta- have said whether we're afraid of the dark. Well, that's the question about security, uh, right? Like, do you actually feel safer with that porch light, that bl- glaring porch light than Yeah, and I not? guess I mean at a, at a sort of deeper level. Like, there's one, it's like, I'm in a built environment and there's a dark pocket and something bad could happen right, there. Like versus mo- like, like, I'm in the middle of the, the woods and is it the, just the, the fact that there's no light, does that scare me? Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I always, I always treat myself like I have a superpower when that night vision comes back. I'm like, ooh, now I can see yeah. a little bit. Oh, yeah, 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 try to, yeah, try yeah, to appreciate really that. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. I, I, I. So you're not scared of the dark? I, as a kid, like extremely. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. But my question is, uh, so, so, cousin to that question is, do you feel like lightness helps with security? Because that's, I think. A claim we've sort of all bought into, and I right. and it might be dubious. Yeah, I think I think people who are strapping a bunch of lights to their house for security specifically are maybe just just thinking about scary things rather than making themselves safer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, anytime I approach somebody's house, like sometimes in LA, and they have those motion mm-hmm. lights that just come on, I always feel like I'm doing a crime as soon yes. as the light comes on, <laughs> even if I know the person and we're doing a thing. You're like, like, so I drop the bag of gold and I run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you guys, uh, what, what is your relationship to darkness? And read this piece. I thought it was lovely. Yeah, yeah very thoughtful. Very good. Um, you guys... That's the end of the show. How do you feel? I feel, is this the last one that comes out before Super Tuesday? Yes, yes. This is the last one to come out before Super Tuesday. Hey, do the right thing, folks. Warren, (laughs) Sanders, one of those. (laughs) Mostly Warren. I'm not going to tell you what the right thing is, but I'm also just going to list a couple names of candidates. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to slide a note across the table to you at home. (laughs) Uh, It's got a few names on it. Uh, Jody, do you have any final uh, words of encouragement before uh, pe- half, uh, not half, sorry, yeah. a third of the country votes on Tuesday? Everyone calm down. Take a deep <laughs> breath. Just not near someone who's coughing. <laughs> yeah. We'll be fine. Yeah, sit in some darkness and chill out and, yeah. and then vote. Yeah. And then vote. And then Maybe vote. it's like literally just go sit in a dark room. It's probably the answer to all of these issues <laughs> we've been discussing. <laughs> Go sit in a dark room and think about Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You guys, I would love for the people of Faith the Nation to be able to follow you and all the stuff that you do. Jody Avergan, where do they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jody with a Y Avergan. I also have a newsletter, um, so people can sign up for that on my website, JodyAvergan.com. Awesome. I didn't know you had a newsletter, Jody. I should sign up to it. Holy shit. Alex. Where do people find you? Alex Schmidt, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, at Alex Schmidt on Twitter and alexschmidt.com. And uh, you already listened to this show, so you're doing a great job. And uh, please listen to the Cracked Podcast as well. Uh, We we try very hard. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. And you guys know where to find me and all the the things that I do. Oh, you guys. Please. Um, uh, We have... Uh, a new series coming out. It's called Bonus the Nation. It's bonus episodes of Fake the Nation. And they are coming to Stitcher Premium on March 6th. I'm so excited about it. And the episodes are so good. We've already recorded a handful of them. And oh my God. And, and for a free month trial of Stitcher Premium, 
Use the code FAKE. That's F-A-K-E. Uh, oh, you'll get all these great episodes. And also all of the other premium stuff that Stitcher has to offer. But mostly Bonus The Nation, which is our bonus episodes of Fake The Nation that you will love if you already love this show. And it's a great way to support this show. So don't forget that. Um, I also wanted to point out that, sorry, uh, according to the U.S. Senate, According to the U.S. Census, South Carolina has a 27.1% black population. I was so wrong about the number I said out loud. Um, so I just wanted to correct that. Uh, but what I really want to do is thank the people that make Fake the Nation possible. That's Anita Flores, our um, producer. Uh, Andy Christens, our audio engineer. Gabi Alter wrote our theme music. Lily Fleshler helps with research. And you guys, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your feedback. Topics you think we should be chatting about, guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981. Or you can drop us a line at commentsoffakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. Uh, Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.